the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Divinely revealed religion and man-made religion. The differences will be the subject of today's broadcast here on Abounding Grace as we turn our attention once again to the book of Galatians. Join us and be encouraged in Christ. Hi there, and welcome to today's broadcast of Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. We invite you to join us today here in the first five verses of chapter 6 in Galatians. The true gospel is the gospel of grace and peace, personally and socially. It doesn't depend on your worth or mine. However, it does depend on grace and mercy found in God and God alone. With all the details, again, in Galatians 6, here's Pastor Gary with today's broadcast. The divinely revealed religion of Christianity and all man-made religions are complete and total opposites. And in the closing verses of the epistle to the Galatians, the Apostle Paul makes this antithesis as clear as he possibly can, because not believing that radical decision, distinction, between divinely revealed religion and man-made religion is fatal forever. Paul concludes the book of Galatians as he introduced it, setting forth a principal theme of the gospel that originates with God, the only gospel that can save us from our sins and bring sinners into favor with the living God. Let's look at the first five verses of the book. In those verses, Paul gives us the basic and indispensable elements of the gospel. Let me just remind you of them. He says in those verses that the true gospel is a gospel of grace and peace personally and socially. It is a gospel that does not depend in any measure upon the merit or the worth of man, but depends upon the unmerited, unearned, undeserved grace and mercy of our living God which through the Lord Jesus Christ brings the restoration of God's order to earth and the restoration of total health, both personally and socially, to all of God's people. And notice, in all of these introductions in Paul's epistle, grace always comes before peace, because it is only the power of God's grace that restores God's order and restores health to the heart and to the human condition. We see secondly in these first five verses that the true gospel is a gospel that originates with God, not with man. It is supernatural through and through. It did not originate in this creation. Its message is not of this creation. Both the power by which it expands And the message it presents originated with God himself alone. Thirdly, 
The gospel is a gospel for all kinds of people. Paul says it's for all of us. It includes a variety of people in Galatia. It includes persecutors of the gospel like Paul. It is not for one class of people or one language, one race. It is for all men throughout all the world. It is a gospel for all kinds of people. Fourthly, the true gospel is a gospel that rests on the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. This is the basis of our standing in God's favor. That is the reason for the forgiveness of our sins. In Christ's death 2,000 years ago, as our substitute, he sacrificed himself in our place, taking upon himself the penalty and the punishment our sin deserves, incurring the hell that we should have borne. God's law demanded satisfaction, for he is a just God, and his justice screamed out for the satisfaction and punishment. The death of the Lord Jesus Christ satisfied God's justice by taking that penalty on himself. God was angry with the wicked every day. And the anger was coming with all of its devastation as a tidal wave to destroy the enemies of God. And the Lord Jesus Christ and his death stood between us and that tidal wave of God's wrath and propitiated God turned away God's wrath from us, bearing it in himself. That is the basis of our standing with God. Not anything of us, but the sacrificial, substitutionary death of the Lord Jesus Christ. The fifth essential element Paul presents in the first five verses is that the gospel is a gospel that delivers believers from their bondage to this present evil world with all of its sins, with all of its divine judgment, with all of its emptiness, with all of its seductions. The Lord Jesus Christ, by his death, has set us free from it and made us citizens of the world to come. The sixth element of the gospel is this, according to these verses. It is rooted in the sovereign will of Almighty God, not in the will of man. The gospel is what God willed to happen. The death of the Lord Jesus Christ took place because God willed it. You were saved by grace through faith because God willed it. Everything about the gospel depends not upon the will of man or any decision of man, but upon the will and the decision of Almighty God. And seventh. The true gospel is a gospel that has as its ultimate goal, God's glory. Everything about the accomplishment of our salvation in life, death, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ brought glory and praise and honor to the living God. He chose us. He saved us in eternity past. He accomplished our redemption. He applies that redemption to show forth the glory and the riches of His grace. So that throughout all eternity, we will honor and praise and glorify Him. In fact, when this salvation reaches our heart, 
It is applied to our hearts by the Holy Spirit. We are made to be a people who in whatever we do, eat or drink or whatever, to long to glorify God, to praise and honor Him. And we saw back months ago when we began our study in the book of Galatians and we looked at these basic elements of the gospel, that a gospel without any of these seven elements is no gospel at all. A gospel without any one of these seven elements cannot save you from sin and get you to God. No matter how sincerely you believe, it will. Now we come to the last paragraph in the book, chapter 6, verses 11 through 18. And in that last paragraph, Paul sets forth the very essence of Christianity itself. And he does so in order to differentiate the truth from the falsehood of the Judaizers, whom Paul wrote the book of Galatians to deal with. Look at verse 11. See what large letters I'm writing you with my own hand. You, you can read commentaries and find all kinds of explanations for this. One is that the thorn in the flesh that Paul had and prayed for relief from, which God never granted, was something to do with his eyes, a, a disease of the eyes that was actually probably embarrassing for him. So he writes the book in large letters because of his poor eyesight. So the people who received the letter would know that it was from Paul himself. Now, even though I believe that was probably his thorn in the flesh, I don't believe that what he is saying here, I am writing you with large letters, is what he is really saying. He is actually underscoring now what he is about to say. I am going to embolden it. I'm going to write it in capital letters. In other words, he is being emphatic. He wants to impress in this last paragraph of the book upon his readers the vital importance of these final remarks so they will pay careful attention to them. And in those underscored final remarks of Paul, we see the very essence of Christianity itself. For instance... In verses 12 and 13 and 15, we learn that Christianity at its most fundamental level is not a religion of external ceremonies and conduct, but it is first of all a religion of the heart. Second, in verses 14 and 15, we learn that Christianity is a matter of what God has done for us in Christ, not what man has done for God. In verse 16, we see that the church is essential to Christianity. And in verse 17, we see that true believers in Christ are slaves to Jesus Christ. Then in verse 18, the gospel of God is a gospel of sure, sheer grace. So he ends as he began. These statements define the very essence of Christianity so that without any one of them, Christianity is dead. So let us look at these fundamental truths more closely. First of all, look at verses 12, 13, and 15. 
those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised simply so that they will not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Now, of course, he's now dealing with the Judaizers that he's been writing against throughout the entire book. Verse 13, for those who are circumcised do not keep they do not even keep the law themselves, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. Verse 15, for neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. The point is, Christianity is not, first of all, a religion of external ceremonies and rituals and conduct. It is, first of all, a religion of the heart. The way Paul wrote it was to say, there is nothing of the Judaizers in Christianity. Nothing. They are total opposites. Their religion is not a part of Christianity that says you have to earn your salvation. Their externalism is not of Christianity, which externalism says all that matters is your conduct. The state of mind is not that important. The externalist racism is not a part of Christianity in which the Judaizers say that a bloodline or blood kinship accounts for a great deal in your standing with God. Neither self-justification nor the self-glorification of the Judaizers is a part of Christianity. You can't justify yourself before God. And any attempt to justify yourself before God by doing good things is really a glorification and a deification of yourself, having confidence in yourself to be able to impress God enough to get Him to even look your way. Neither are the motives of the Judaizers, man-made religion, those of Christianity. What are their motives? Russ Dooney defines them like this, quote, to put on a good outward surface, to manifest forms of godliness rather than the reality thereof, to avoid prosecution by passing as a branch of Judaism, to gain power in the church, to be leaders no matter what the price they have to pay, end quote. In other words, the religion of the Judaizers as as, as well as all man-made religions, was the, and is antithetical to everything Christianity is. That is, the Christianity that is expressed in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. For the whole Bible is about Christ and Christianity. Turn with me now to some passages that confirm Paul's view here. First, we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 1 where we see Isaiah the prophet making a very similar emphasis with reference to the external and the internal. And in verses 10 through 15 of chapter 1 of Isaiah, he says, Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Now he's really talking to Israel. But because they were living in rebellion against God, he's calling them as if they were the enemies of God. He says, hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah. 
What are your multiplied sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I have had enough of your burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I take no pleasure in the blood of bulls, lambs, or goats. When you come to appear before me, who requires of you this trampling of my courts? Bring your worthless offerings no longer. Incense is abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath, the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity and the solemn assembly. I hate your new moon festivals and your appointed feast. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. And remember, this is the Lord talking. And he goes on to say, so when you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Yes, even your multiplied prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are covered with blood. Here you see God's indictment against apostate Israel in Isaiah's time, and he is indicting them basically for their superstition. Now, superstition is not something that is confined to voodooism in Haiti or animism in the Amazon River Valley. Superstition is actually practiced in Christian churches every day of the week, and particularly every Sunday all over the world. And in this particular passage... Isaiah defines what superstition is. Two things. And we're going to focus basically on the second. But first is an attempt to worship God by ways that he has not commanded. And then presume that God would accept such worship. Secondly, superstition is attempting to worship God without heart. And then think that it counts for something. They were going through all the right motions. They were doing all the various things they were supposed to do. They were offering the sacrifices they were supposed to be offering. And if you saw them on the surface, you would think, hey, this is a great bunch of people. But they were doing it with no heart. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks upon the heart. And because they were doing right things, going through the right ceremonies, being concerned with correct conduct, without repentance, without faith, without heart, God says, all of your correct ceremonies and conduct make me sick. Turn to Isaiah chapter 29. And you'll see God's attitude toward such worship. He says in verses 13 and 14, and please listen well, because this is what God thinks of superstition. This is what God thinks about trying to worship him in ways he hasn't commanded or in trying to worship him without your heart. He says in Isaiah 29, 13 and 14, because these people draw near, that is in worship, with their words, and honor me with their lip service, but they remove their hearts far from me, and the reverence for me consists of tradition learned by rote. Therefore, behold, I will once again deal marvelously with these people, wondrously marvelous, and the wisdom of their wise men will perish, and the discernment of their discerning men will be concealed. Notice what this says. It says they were saying the right words. They were doing the right things, but the heart wasn't in it. 
They were acting reverently, and yet their reverence and their religion and their worship was nothing more than tradition learned by rote without heart. That kind of worship makes God so angry that he says, I'm going to do something wonderfully marvelous in their lives. Now, don't be thrown off by wondrously marvelous. It doesn't mean it's going to be wondrously marvelous for them. You know, God has a wonderful plan for your lives. But it's going to be wonderful to God alone and not to them. For it will bring judgment to them. What is wondrously marvelous is that God will bring judgment on these people because they were going through all of the right ceremonies, doing all the right things in their external conduct, but they had no heart in it. Time and again, by the way, in the Hebrew, literally, in the book of Hebrews, the fools and rebels against God are described as people without heart. Their hearts just are not in it. Turn to Matthew 23 and see Jesus' denunciation of the Pharisees. Matthew 23, verses 23 through 28. You see Jesus making a similar point to Paul here, that Christianity at its most fundamental level is not a religion of externals. It is a religion of the heart. Matthew 23, verses 23 through 28. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and deal and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting to of the others. You blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside they are full of robbery and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and of the dish so that the outside of it may become clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like the whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they are full of dead men's bones and, are, and all uncleanness. So you, too, outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Jesus says to these Pharisees who were sticklers for detail in correctness of ceremony and correctness of behavior, at least on the external side. You are like beautiful white sepulchers. That is, on the outside, you're beautiful, well-carved, whitewashed tombs. But inside, you are rotten, dead men's bones. And look in verse 33, what he says about this kind of life. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how will you escape the sentence of hell? So you see, Jesus makes the point that Isaiah made, the point that Paul made, that Christianity is not, first of all, a religion of external ceremonies and conduct without heart, 
but it is at the deepest level a religion of the heart. So Paul sharply contrasts biblical Christianity from all damnable synthetic counterfeits by declaring boldly and concisely, for neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And that'll bring us to the end of our time today here on Abounding Grace with our teacher and pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Thank you for joining us today. It's our hope and prayer that we've been able to encourage you in Christ and stimulate your walk in Him. To address questions, comments, prayer requests, or concerns, please call or write to us. We'd love to talk with you. 408 866 5607 is our phone number. 408 866-5607. You're also welcome to visit our website. Drop us an email when you do, reformedheritage.org. Real simple, reformedheritage.org. A lot of information there about who we are. We would invite you again to stop by, reformedheritage.org. Or if you're writing to us, the address is PMB, post mailbox, 402, and the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, 95032. That address can be found on our website, reformedheritage.org, or again, simply call 408-866-5607. Copies of today's program are just $5. Mention today's date, and we'll get a CD out to you. And please remember that we are listener-supported which means when you link arms with us financially, we're able to continue the ministry here on this station. It's a great way to study God's Word together, isn't it? And we'd love to continue to do so. Would you prayerfully consider how God might be leading you to partner with us? We'd love to hear from you. Again, won't you call 408-866-5607 or reformedheritage.org. Sunday services, by the way, if you'd like to join us, are 2 in the afternoon. We're located at Lone Hill Church, 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org. Again, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. Further information can be found again at reformedheritage.org or by calling 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, God bless. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.